All right, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege of being here this morning to just gather together, Father, when not everyone in this world has that ability, where their own governments restrain this thing from happening, even persecute those who dare to make it happen. Father, we're so blessed by this type of freedom that we've been given just to fellowship this way and to break bread and be encouraged by one another. Um, We pray for those that don't see it, even in our own congregation, that don't value it enough to be here when they can be, Father. Um, We pray for those that are truly out, those that are quarantining due to the COVID Um, We pray for anyone else that happens to be um, away from the flock at this point, that you return them to the fold in your good timing, of course, so that we might fellowship with them as well and just rejoice together. Father, we pray for those in this world that are still lost without hope, that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make a morning like this a time to rejoice for each one of us, we believers here. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this is a special this morning on giving. Um, The Spirit's had a lot to say about giving lately. Um, He's been using the topic of giving thanks as the specific use case, right? That's how it all started. Giving thanks. Give thanks and you're blessed. When you live a life of gratitude, that attitude of gratitude, you're blessed. So that dovetails perfectly with what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So he's had a lot to say on giving lately. Um, And he's used that giving thanks as the launching pad or a specific use case. But my prayer um, is that you all understand the more general case, which is summarized with the words of Jesus himself up here on the board in Acts 20.35 Part B. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That cannot be understated. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Like any flow or exchange of grace, there's always a giving party and a receiving party. I mean, that's what giving implies, right? You give from one person to another. There's always this exchange. And when it's this flow of grace, there's always a giver and there's always a receiver. What Jesus teaches us is that it's, oh, there's more blessing on the giving side than the receiving. That's what Jesus teaches us. It's more blessed to give. And I was thinking about that, how that's completely antagonistic to the world's point of view on giving. That's backwards. 
it's antagonistic even. To say that the giver is the one that's blessed, that's antagonistic to the world's idea, viewpoint of this exchange. If you understand the Bible, then that's to be expected. In fact, I'm encouraged by it, as I am whenever I realize how opposite God's will is from the kingdom of darkness's will. It's sort of like an affirmation of sorts. In other words, if biblical giving were aligned with worldly giving, then I'd be scratching my head because worldly giving is rooted in creature credit, which ultimately is selfish. Worldly giving is based and rooted in creature credit. That's all the human flesh without being saved. That's all it's relegated to. It only understands creature credit. So that giving always has that element of selfishness to it. It's actually rooted in it. It springs forth from selfishness. In other words, someone gives for selfish reasons. For example, people give to others so that they can feel good about themselves. That's very worldly thinking. It's very common. It's why you see, you know, Anytime someone famous does anything good, why is it on the news? Because it's good PR, you see? It's good for business. There's always an exchange. There's always strings attached. It's never giving without strings. There's always some form of selfishness, some kind of selfish gain involved in the giving. So people, you know, give to others so that they can feel good about themselves which is why they blow trumpets every time or every chance they get, telling others about all their so-called good deeds. In any case, let's keep this more general doctrine at the forefronts of our minds this morning. We're going to read some Holy Scripture, obviously. Um, But we're going to read some Holy Scripture on a topic that is familiar to all of us, and that is supporting the ministry Supporting this ministry, if you want to make it super personal. It's not just about that, but that's going to be our use case this morning, or at least in part. Okay? And just as a side note, I've been meaning to express my deepest gratitude to all of you for your continued financial support of this ministry. And I speak on behalf of everyone. I feel that that's my job. That, I mean, how's this, right? I see the sun coming in. It's warm in here, right? We're not bothered. Thank God, you know, the Santa truck went by with the sirens earlier, so we're not going to be haunted by that ridiculousness, right? I mean, look at the, the decorations look beautiful, amen, right? Some, some ladies took the time to do it. Um, yeah, cleaning, everything. I'm sorry if I'm missing people. Um, but you get the point that, you know, that, doesn't, that always comes at a cost. You know, last time I checked, you know, flowers and wreaths and such, they don't, they're not free. They cost money. Heat, lights, cost money, right? Salary. Don't muzzle an ox while he's threshing. It costs money, Right? So you have to think about those things. And I'm just saying I I appreciate you all for continuing. 
to support the ministry. Um, we are what, by most standards, I would think, on the grand stage of things, we're a small ministry in terms of a local assembly. But we have an incredible worldwide reach. And I think it's easy to forget that. For example, I checked yesterday morning when I was preparing for this. I checked this past month's traffic to the website, and we get about four to 5,000 visitors a month from about 147 countries. 38% of our traffic is from India. 13% from the Philippines. 7% from the United States. 6% from Nigeria and 5% from Kenya. We also have around, almost 700 subscribers to the Kids Corner monthly newsletter and about 500 subscribers to our North Christian Church weekly newsletter. Now there's some overlap there, but say roughly, I don't know, between 8 and 1,000 people receive some kind of communication from this ministry either, you know, at least once a month, possibly four times a month. This ministry has been advancing God's kingdom for well over a decade now. And most of you, if I look across the audience, you know, most of you have been here for a good portion of that time, if not all of it. So with all that said, let's look at a category of giving that both knits and divides churches like ours. Sadly, it can, with the right attitude, it knits us. With the wrong perspective, it divides. And that's giving. So Paul writes to the church at Corinth in the passage we're about to read together. And just for context's sake, recall that this particular church is arguably most like modern-day America of all the churches in the Bible. Corinth is very much like contemporary America. It was wealthy, uh, it was a cultural force, and it was awfully idolatrous. Wealthy, a cultural force, and idolatrous. As such, many of the characteristics you'd expect to see in such a society as our own are evidenced in Corinth. As a faithful shepherd... Paul had the, or had to constantly tend to this church because they were often failing in the aforementioned areas. They were often preoccupied with wealth or, you know, idolatrous behavior or cultural norms or whatever, you know. And that's something that I have to do with all of you, if you haven't noticed, after a, over a decade. Because of the same issues in America, a lot of the messages that come from this pulpit are trying to annihilate those things in you. Try to get those things out of you so that you can be set free. To give his own approach to the Corinthians some context, Paul opens up with a viewpoint of a much poorer area of the world. Presumably for the sake of contrast. It's not a whole lot unlike when I share that the people with the least to share, even in our own congregation, and I'm talking about maybe time and finances, 
the ones who often in this congregation, not exclusively, but predominantly the ones with the least amount to share, give the most. Even in our own little microcosm here. <laughs> the ones with the least tend to give the most, pound for pound. More than those that, you know, have much more to give. And so I do that for the sake of contrast. Like Paul, the idea is to amplify. You ready? Because this is the message this morning. It's not to belittle anybody or, you know, get people, oh, you know. Although that should happen in some of you, just saying. The idea is to amplify the blessing of giving. So for the record, that's what this morning's message is about. It's about you understanding and realizing from Holy Scripture that it's more blessed to give than to receive. That what Jesus said actually isn't a lie. That there's huge benefit to you in time and for all of eternity. When you give of yourself, when you give, and that includes things like money. When you give, period, that's the mentality. There's a blessing associated with it. So says Holy Scripture. This isn't Ed Collins up here teaching or uh, trying to, you know, speak to you about what I think is real based on some experience of mine. Although my experience obviously uh, pans out the way the Bible says. But I'm not teaching from experience. I'm teaching the Bible. So that's the context here as the passage opens up. Go to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Second Corinthians eight verse one. So that's our context this morning. Paul opens up with some context for the Corinthians, and you notice he starts off by addressing another church, or churches plural. Look at Second Corinthians eight one. We want you to know, brothers, so he's writing to the church at Corinth, but he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. In other words, it's more blessed to give, remember. Grace abounds to givers. So the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, verse 2, for in, severe test, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... And their extreme poverty have overflowed. That's that Greek word, parasuo. Remember, it means to overflow, right? Literally, to overflow. Have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. In other words, they wanted to give this way, they weren't compelled. Paul didn't have to go down to you know, the churches in Macedonia and say, give, 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 give. And they were like, whew, we got him off our back. No, 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 no. This was of their own accord. Don't believe that? Look at verse 4. Begging us. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. When's the last time you begged to know how you could give even more to this ministry? Honestly. When's the last time you called up 
anyone on the leadership team and says, what more can I do for the ministry? No, no, let me, please, what more can I do for the ministry? Because that's what's in view here. Do you understand? Paul's writing to the Corinth. Corinthians, right? The, the church at Corinth, right? So they were wealthy. They had money. The Macedonians had very little money. And yet they were begging, what more can we do? You follow? That's the backdrop. And so he's, he's, he's giving that for the sake of contrast. Verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part. Can I please take part? Well, who would say that? Unless they understand God's economy. You see? So begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected. In other words, Paul was blown away by their giving. He was blown away. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. In other words, Paul wanted the Corinthians to enjoy the same blessings of giving as the Macedonians. That was his, he wasn't trying to berate the Corinthians. He's like, listen, these people, are, their socks are, are, are graced out, are blessed off. And this is why, because they have that attitude. They, want, they understood Jesus' own words so well that it's more blessed to give than to receive that they were begging to give. How can I do it then? And that's what Paul was teaching. He's like, I want you to share in those blessings. Right? So this is likewise, I mean, why am I teaching this 2,000 years later? Because that's my prayer for all of you. I want you to be blessed, just like the Macedonians. Verse 7, but as you excel in everything, see, this isn't a beatdown. Paul's not saying, listen, you guys are just terrible all around. He's like, look, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, your, in our love for you. In other words, you're, you're, you're winning in many ways. You're doing really well in many ways. See that you excel in this act of grace also. In other words, don't just excel in all these other areas, right? Paul also encouraged what we would call parity with their giving since they had other good fruit. I see that you have this, you have this, you have... Look at all these wonderful things that's going, that are going on in your life, and you are blessed for them. But how about also in the area of giving? Because this is important too. And for many people, I believe, especially in a wealthy economy like ours, like America, uh, money tends to be the, the last one, right? People, people will go you know, dig a ditch seven hours, you know, for the church before they'll give an extra 20 bucks to the church. It's bizarre, but that's, that's people, right? So money, when, when, a, when a whole society is built, in, built around money and wealth, which is America, it, seems, it, sends, it tends to be the last frontier. It's one of the ways you can tell someone's spiritual maturity. So Paul encouraged parity with their giving since they had other good fruit. Verse 8, he say, look at what he says. He says, I say this not as a command. He's not trying to beat these people into shape. Do you understand? He says, he says I say this not as a command, 
but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also or is genuine. Up here on the board, here's the point. Not as a command. Paul never commanded the Corinthians to give to the ministry. He, like any good shepherd, tried to lead them to the blessings of giving that are realized to the giver's account. His motivation was never money. Rather, it was that the sheep be blessed. Do you see the difference? That's why he says, I'm not commanding this. He's like, I'm saying this for your benefit so that you can be blessed. Okay? He's not commanding the, the Corinthians to give to the ministry. He, like any good shepherd, like myself, he's leading them to the blessings of giving that are realized to the giver's account. His motivation was never money. Rather, it was the sheep be blessed. And I can honestly say that this is the very reason I have ever taught on giving. Or giving, as people outside of New England would say. <laughs> right? That's the only reason I've ever taught on giving. I don't need your money. The church doesn't, quote, need your money per se, if you understand. That works itself out according to God's word last time I checked. And if it doesn't, we, we close the church down. It's that simple. Right? If you think I've ever taught on giving, or the leadership team has ever presented to you the needs of this ministry for the sake of financial gain, then you've completely missed the point. I mean completely. It's not even close. It's not even in the same ballpark. And you've also insulted your leadership team horribly, and me personally. The tragedy, or this tragedy, happens every time a selfish person is convicted by God, the Holy Spirit, regarding their own giving. Or, let's be honest, lack thereof. That's what conviction does to a selfish person. Verse 8, again, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. What Paul is really saying is that he wants to put the Corinthians' faith to the test so that they can shine. He wants to put the Corinthians' faith to the full test, let's say, which includes financial giving, because obviously they had a problem with this, or maybe they were a little bit slow to respond, given that they were wealthy, where the Macedonians were begging, you know, certainly not slow, but aggressively responding. And they had much, much less to share. So he's saying this so that the Corinthians have a chance to shine, to put them on full display. Over the years, I've seen so many of you shine this way. So many of you shine in this very area. Every time the Spirit has asked you to step up, you've stepped up. And those who fail the test eventually leave the congregation, which is saddening, but not surprising. That's typically what happens. The conviction, though the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit becomes such a pressure on a person, they just leave. And it's sad. Why is that sad, though? Because it's never about the money. That's the point. It's never about the money. It's always about proper motivation. 
which is a whole person issue. You understand? Um, giving financially is a symptom. Giving your time to clean the, the church is a symptom. You know, setting up church, uh, or excuse me, uh, Christmas ornamentation and stuff like that, that's a symptom of, of a core issue. And I don't mean symptom in a bad way this way. I mean, like, it's fruit of it. So it's, this is a whole person issue we're talking about. And that's what the Spirit, that's why the Spirit wants you to think that way about giving. It's not about specifics. It's about you. Do you understand it's more blessed to give? That's a general statement. Giving finances is just one type of fruit that you bear as a whole person that understands that doctrine. So again, it's always about proper motivation, which is a whole person issue, not just someone's issue with giving finances. So let's press on with Paul's encouragement here. Verse 9 reads, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So this is the supreme pattern of giving. Jesus had everything and he gave it up. For you. That's the supreme pattern of giving. Verse 10, in, in this matter I give my judgment. In other words, Paul's saying, here are my thoughts on the matter. Again, I'm not trying to pound this into your soul, but this, these are my thoughts on the matter. You ready? Colon, this benefits you. Do you see it? He said, this is my judgment. He goes, this is the fact of the matter. He goes, this this benefits you. I'm doing this for you. You give to your own benefit. That's, that's the point. He sh I shouldn't have to command you for that. That's like, I mean, come on. If you even like yourself, you're going to want to do what's good for you. So what's good for you, what's to your benefit, is that you give. And give abundantly. Because that's where the blessings are. So in this matter, I give my judgment... This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So the context here is that a year ago, they said, we're going we're gonna to take up a collection, and we're going to send it to the saints. We're going to take up a collection, since we have a lot of money to start with. We'll take up this nice collection, and we'll send it to, to the needs of other saints, to areas where needs are prevalent. You understand? up here on the board, this benefits you. Paul was teaching the Corinthians that giving was to their benefit. Likewise, giving to the ministry is to your benefit. If you think with human rationalism, you arrive at the opposite conclusion. Thinking, giving is to the receiver's benefit primarily. In other words, oh, I'm giving so that, I don't know, Pastor Ed has a paycheck from the church. That's why I'm giving. This is about Pastor Ed. So I'm going to give knowing that that's, it's to his benefit. Is there a benefit? I guess. But I'm from, the, I'm from the school, the biblical school, that says God's going to take care of me no matter what. So it can't be about just me. It can't be, you can't have that motivation that this is about Pastor Ed because it's not about Pastor Ed. It's about you. <laughs> that's human rationalism. Right? Because here's what happens. You ready? 
when you make that false presumption that it's about me, as soon as you have a personal problem with me, guess what happens? You're no longer motivated to give the way you should be giving. Does that make sense? You've lost sight of biblical truth on giving. You've made it about the other person. You've made it about the receiver. That's the flesh tricking you. That's the deceitfulness of sin being born in your own soul. That's the lie from the kingdom of darkness. You get it? That's the miss. And that's what sin means by default. The very definition of sin means to miss the mark. You've missed the mark if you think your giving is about me or Monica who grabs a paycheck or the building or whatever. <laughs> right? I mean, you've missed the mark. This benefits you. That's what Paul's saying. This isn't about me. This is literally about you. So Paul was teaching the Corinthians that giving was to their benefit. Likewise, giving to the ministry is to your benefit. If you think with human rationalism, you arrive at the opposite conclusion, thinking giving is to the receiver's benefit primarily. So whenever we lose sight of this basic fact about godly giving, we fail the test, and instead of being blessed, we suffer. Instead of being blessed, we suffer. You might say, you know, I don't know, to, in, in a challenging way. Well, you know, how can you say I suffer when I spent my money on shiny new stuff for myself instead of giving to the needs of the church? Seems to me I'm not suffering at all. Seems to me I got some new shiny new stuff. Well, those shiny new objects will rust and moths will destroy them eventually. So says Holy Scripture. And when that happens for the umpteenth time, hopefully you'll eventually figure out that it was all a waste of money relative to the blessings God would have rewarded you with. That's the point. You ready? Up here on the board. There are a lot of poor, quote, rich people in this world. There are a lot of poor, rich people in this world. Again, what was Paul fighting? Same thing I'm fighting with you this morning. Listen, you folks are just like the Corinthians. Verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. Up here on the board. This benefits you. Paul was teaching the Corinthians that giving was to their benefit. Likewise, giving to the ministry is to your benefit. If you think with human rationalism, you arrive at the opposite conclusion, thinking... Giving is to the receiver's benefit primarily. So, Paul encourages the Corinthians to press on with their commitment to the Lord. Obviously, a year ago, they made a commitment. They said, we're going to start giving to the Lord through this channel. We're going to give financially to the needs of the saints. Okay, And Paul was thrilled with that. And he said, that's awesome. It's consistent with all the other fruit that I see, this is awesome. You're growing up. You're starting to learn. You're starting to see the real benefits of living a spiritual life that's walking with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. You're starting to see the benefits of it. And you're committing to it. And that's beautiful. So Paul's encouraging the Corinthians to keep doing, keep committing, stay committed to the Lord. 
allowing his grace to overflow, not just in those other areas of giving that he mentioned, but even in financial giving as well. In other words, there should be parity there to your own benefit. And to be honest, this would have been uh, challenging the same way it's challenging for rich people today to give up their wealth. Right? Um, and everyone here, by the way, if you live in America and you have a home and a car and all that good stuff, you're wealthy by world standards. 38% of our population that comes to the website is from India. And if I was a betting man, I'd say it was from Southeast India, where Joey and I went, which is really poor. Really poor. So just think of it that way. Um, here's an old blog worth rereading on this topic when you get a chance. Some of you might remember A Waiter's Conclusion. It's uh, October 5th, 2016. Or if you're you know, not good at navigating the website, it's in the second volume of Diary of a Journeyman. Some of you are like, Diary of a what? <laughs> yeah, there's three of them now, right? <laughs> hundreds upon hundreds of blogs, all nice and tidy with a nice table of contents, all categorized with like, you know, prefaces to each chapter. You know, just saying. But that waiter's, I remember the waiter's conclusion because I wrote it from a, my own perspective, having been a waiter for years at restaurants. Um, <clears throat> it's the same thing I said earlier. The best tippers are not the richest people. They tend to be either the lower end on the wealth, scale of wealth or maybe in the middle somewhere. But the richest ones were the worst tippers on average. Crazy. They pull up in a you know, brand new Mercedes Benz and they flip you a nickel. It's like, what? And someone comes up. Right? Hey, here's a five. Merry Christmas for a coffee. Right? You know what I'm saying? That's, that's the way it is. It's the same way in America. Are you kidding? Some of you are laughing, but some of you are that person with the new car. Right? You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, just, that's just the way it is. I don't lose sleep over it because, sadly, um, the... The, the, the lack of blessing goes to that person, right? It's not, it's no skin off my back, so to speak, other than I'm sad about it. But it's not, it's more of a detriment to that person. That's the whole point. You don't want that person to be that way because obviously they're in bondage. They're still enslaved to something as stupid as money. Verse 10, and in this manner, or in this matter, excuse me, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not uh, only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So you started good, right? You, you started the race. You, just, you put your toe on the line, right? The gun went off, and you're running. And, and he's like, this is great. This is awesome. Now I can cheer for you from the sideline. So what does he say in verse 11? So now finish doing it as well. A lot of people start. You ever notice that? A lot of people start. You know, start strong in ministry, and I mean as, you know, receivers. They start strong, and then they kind of, you know, this emotional high. I just got saved. Booyah, life is good. I love Jesus. And for like six months, they're on a, like a, the honeymoon phase. That's what I call it. This is so great. And then all of a sudden, you see this go. 
right? And then like a year out there, like, oh, yeah, I still love Jesus, though. Yeah. A couple years out there down here. You know what I'm saying? What happened? Why, why are you fading? What happened? I don't know. You can answer that for yourself. So Paul's saying, now, now finish doing well. It's a year later. Somehow you were totally moved by the Spirit to say, yes, I'm in. I'm committed. I'm going to do this financial giving for the needs of the saints. And you were right up here. And then a year later, now what? Where are you at? I don't know. So now finish doing it as well. Verse 11. So that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. That your readiness, you said you were ready, right? You were stoked. I'm ready. Woo! Let's do this thing. Mm. Yeah, right? So that it can be matched by you completing it. Ooh. You know, a year out, you're kind of like, right? You know, that's us. Well, I got to buy the kids Christmas presents this year because, you know, Santa. Well, I got to do this. I got to buy that. I got to do that. You know, I do, you know. I still have my vices to take care of. I got a, you know, I got, you know, a $250 cable bill I got to, you know, pay every month. So church is going to have to go without. I don't even like that bald guy anyways. So screw him. Do you know what I'm getting at? I got to make it about the guy at this point so that I can justify my ridiculous existence and my greediness and my, and I'm speaking on, you got what I'm getting at, right? Yeah. Let your readiness be matched by your completing it. In other words, don't lose. Keep it up here. That's what he's saying. Because you're, bene- you're, you're blessed for it. Verse 12. Now he gets into the whole motivation thing, right? He gets to the meat and potatoes of the doctrine of giving itself. Because I'm not here to beat you into submission. That is not my job. I don't want to do it. It's not my job. I'd be cursed for doing it because it would be unbiblical. My job is to present the truth and to encourage you to follow the truth to your benefit. And that's what Paul's doing here. Verse 12. For if the readiness is there, okay, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Up here in the board. Acceptable according to what a person has. There are no set amounts or percentages for giving today. Okay? I can't say to you, everybody in here has to give $1,000 a week, or else you're out. I'd have nobody. Right? I bet you something. But if I did that, here's what would happen. You ready? Here's my theory. I'd get a bunch of religious people in here, and I'd probably have to expand the church at some point. Because people will pay to be enslaved in the name of religion. But that's a whole other story. Okay? There are no set amounts of percentages for giving today. By the way, tithing was a command for Israel in the Old Testament. There's no such thing as tithing in the New Testament. Okay? So that's a lie. Uh, furthermore, we are not to treat giving like a gym membership. We all give the same amount. God desires we give based on our ability. This isn't a gym membership. You don't come here and there's a $50 a month you know, card back there. You, know, you sign up for the gym membership. It's $200 for membership and that's $50 a month after that. Everybody pays the same amount. Throw that out too. This isn't a gym membership. Okay, Because that's what a rich person who doesn't want to part with their money will say. Well, I give this amount, so so-and-so should give that amount. I give my, I give my share 
to the church. Let them give their share to the church. This isn't a gym membership. You follow? It doesn't work like that. Has not, throw that out. Throw it out. God desires we give based on our ability, which varies widely. Right? Which varies widely. All right, hold your thumb there. Look at, hold your thumb where you're at. Go to Luke 21, verse 1. Luke 21, verse 1. Luke 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. I shouldn't have to say anything more than that, right? Amen? All right, go back to 2 Corinthians 8.12. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12. Again, this is about motivation. This is about attitude. Remember the attitude of gratitude. How do you have any money in the first place? Because Jesus allowed it. That's why. How about being grateful then? That's what, that's what the Bible tells us. Be grateful then. Be ready. Verse 12, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Up here on the board to repeat, acceptable according to what a person has. There are no set amounts or percentages for giving today. Throw tithing in the bucket. That's from, that's from the Old Testament. Anybody that teaches that, is putting their own uh, church in bondage. Furthermore, we are not to treat giving like a gym membership either. Right? We all give the same amount. God desires we give based on our ability. All right, let's press on. Verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. In other words, in, in God's economy, grace giving goes round and round. Hey, listen, today it might be you giving to someone else, tomorrow it's them giving to you. And when grace moves like that, God is glorified. That's the whole point, right? It's going to move. People with give to the people without, and then vice versa, and it's tomorrow, and as the tables are turned, they give back. And God is glorified. In God's economy, grace giving goes round and round. Verse 15, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. In other words, those that gather unto themselves, they lose out. If you give as unto yourself, you have no lack. You're blessed, in other words. In God's economy, when grace flows freely the way it ought to, based on Holy Scripture, this is what it looks like up here on the board in the New American Standard Version, Matthew 10.8. Freely you received, freely give. Right? It's like, whoop. That's, that's being in the path of grace, right? Grace passes through you. Freely you receive, freely you give. Freely you receive, freely... And I'm a cup right now. <laughs> Right? Freely God pours in grace, freely it overflows, perisuo, 
right? He gives abundantly, it overflows abundantly. That's the whole point. Okay, that's God's economy. And that's what we've been learning for, for months now. As the Spirit's been teaching us lately, God is pleased and we are blessed when grace flows abundantly among us in his economy. Now, we're just going to jump forward a little. There's some details in there that aren't necessary for this morning's message where Paul continues to encourage the Corinthians the way I'm doing it right now. Go to verse 24. Verse 24. So he's, he's continuing to encourage these people. You understand? He's like, don't just start with the commitment. Finish strong. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. In other words, they're like, hey, Paul's out there rounding about with the other churches saying the church at Corinth, they get their act together. They're, we're going to get some nice blessings from them, right? They're gonna, they've been taking a collection. They're committed to it, and they're going to give. And by the way, they make a lot of money, so the offering is going to be big because they're going to give by their ability. You, you follow? So Paul's out there telling the other churches, it's going to be great. This is going to work really well. Because these people have a lot of money, they have a lot to give. So it's going to be great. And you're going to see the motivation behind it is actually love. Up here on the board, James 2, 15 to 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? Again, how about verse 24? So give proof. Proof is, not, <laughs> proof is not you're talking a big game. Proof is proof. Right? Proof is proof. That's, that, at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. You can talk a big game. A lot of people talk a big game. But proof is proof. So give proof then before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Let's see this thing through. You see, can you get Paul's attitude here? He's like, let's see this thing through. This is awesome. He's kind of playing like a cheerleader kind of. He's like, let's do this thing so that you get blessed. They're going to be blessed out. God is glorified. God's economy is flowing the way it should be, right? Freely we receive, freely we give. I mean, you Corinthians, you're loaded because God said you can be loaded. And it's a test. We call that prosperity testing. You're going to pass the test or you're going to hoard it for yourself. Because this is what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to give by your ability. God's the one who made you rich. You didn't make yourself rich. So if anybody in here thinks that, throw that out. Right? God didn't make God, God's the one who makes you rich. You don't make yourself rich. I went to college and I studied and I worked for 20 years and I, I deserve my money. You deserve crap. There are people in this world that work way harder than you. And God said, I'm only going to give them about a 75 IQ. Right? They're not going to be smart at all. The world's not going to esteem them at all. So they're going to make minimum wage their whole life. And they work three jobs. God gave you a brain. You lucked out. Good for you. What are you going to do with it? Oh, I'm going to make all this money and, and store it up for myself. And I, because church is like a gym membership to me, I'm just going to give what I think most people in the church should give. Oh, we have a budget. Let's divide the... Ready? This is my favorite. Oh, we got a budget. Let's divide the budget equally among all members of the congregation. It's a gym membership. Let's all pay the exact same amount. That sounds really good for the rich person, doesn't it? 
They get to keep the vast majority. They're not giving by their ability. They're playing a game. That's not how God works. That's not how God's economy works. You're blessed, able to make all this money, Corinthians, Americans, because I gave you the ability. Crap, I put you in the land of opportunity. You could be that smart and that educated and be over in India where there's very little opportunity to even get paid to find a job. I've heard several times in my lifetime, people are doctors, medical doctors. I'm trying to think of the experience. Anyways, I, I'm trying to think. Anyways, I've met, a, I've met several medical doctors or medical doctor-grade educated people from other countries in America working a menial job. Working a menial job. Put that into perspective. Oh, high and mighty. Right? Because just, when I say that, I'm talking to your flesh, throw that out. It's dragging you down. Just get rid of that whole thing. Okay? Verse 24. So, give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men, or are boasting about you to these men. Give proof then. You know, if you know anything about the original language, you know there's no real chapter break in the original language. So we go from verse 24 to 9-1. Okay, so just keep that momentum. Now, he says it is superfluous. In other words, it's not even necessary. I'm just sort of like hopefully just preaching to the choir with you all, right? Because I know you got it in you. I know you got it in you. But... I, now, it is, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, or for the saints, for I know your readiness. He's agreeing. He's like, I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that uh, Achaia has uh, been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. In other words, your example is encouraging to others in God's economy. He's like, these people, you know, these people I just told you about, the ones who are like begging me to give more, to want, like give out of their, their poverty. They're like, yeah, we're not the only ones. Somebody else gets it in this world. Follow? Somebody else in this world gets it like we do. That's awesome. Praise be to God. It's not just us. We're not alone. Right? Somebody else gets it. So he's saying your example, you're encouraging to others. But, verse 3, I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, not just empty promises you know, or failure to complete the course of action, that you may be ready as I said you would be. Right? You're right there. You're ready. You're committed. You're going to do this thing. You're going to complete this thing. So verses 1 to 3 are interesting because Paul's walking kind of a fine line here, isn't he? In one sense, he says, I really don't need to write. It, in other words, it is superfluous. I don't, I don't need to write. We see that in verse 1. But in the other sense, he is writing. <laughs> it's, like, I know, he's kind of like, I know, it's like when you go up to someone and say, I know I don't need to tell you this, but I just give you a friendly reminder. Can you remember to do this thing tomorrow? Right? And you have pretty much all confidence that they were going to do it anyways, but you're kind of just like, you know, gonna, I know you got it in it to do you, but maybe you're going to get distracted. I don't know. Something told me to give you a friendly reminder. 
That's why you say friendly remind. It's not like the remind is like, hey, you're terrible at this. Your track record is horrible, right? So I got to tell you, and you're up there kazoo, right? It's not like that at all. It's more like a, you know, encouragement thing. So in, in one sense, he's saying it's superfluous, but in another sense, he is actually writing and he's, you know, to, so that they're ready. So when the time comes, they fulfill what they, you know, obligate or committed to a year ago. So it's sort of like, I was thinking about that, it's sort of like a coach. And uh, those of you who have run track understand this maybe a little better, but imagine yourself. You see, you know, when, when there's a track meet, all the coaches are like in the middle of the field and they're always yelling at their kids, right? So it's sort of like a coach who's standing in the middle of the track knowing, because he's been there, all the hard work and dedication and commitment his athletes have put into training for their race. And yet, there he is yelling at them on the last lap to finish strong. You got this. Come on. Right? I mean, he was there for the year before of training. The discipline. He was there. He was the one doing it. But there he is. The, the kid's got one lap less. And he's, you know, that temptation. I don't know if you've ever run before, but that temptation is really strong. Why am I doing this? This is terrible. feels like my, I'm going to implode. My lungs are burning. Why am I doing this again? Right? And you get to all the doubt seeps in. Why am I doing this again? Right? And, you, and then all of a sudden you hear a coach. Finish strong. And you steal yourself, right? And you dig deep. And, and you, know, you throw the monkey off your back. And you're like, I'm doing this thing. Same thing. Right? Same thing. That's what he's saying. He said, I see all the other fruit. I saw your commitment. I saw your discipline. You were there at every practice. You were killing yourself. Don't lose it now when it matters. Don't lose it all. You did All that was for this. All that year of planning, Corinthians. That started with that huge commitment. It's all for now. Right? This is where it matters. Finish. So Paul is giving the Corinthians that precious encouragement to do as he so famously wrote up here on the board, 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have what? Finished the race. For some of you, the finish is with giving financially. Because that's that, you get what I'm getting at, right? You're running the race, and you're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. This is awesome. Right? Then all of a sudden, you know, poor Scott has to come back up in front of the congregation. Hey, we, you know, hey, I'm just saying, we're a little low, just saying. Just it out there, right? And everybody's like, oh no, here's the monkey. Oh, oh. Right? The monkey's on their back and I don't want to finish this race anymore. Finish the race. Right? That's all Paul's saying. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It's all in the spirit of that. Don't lose the prize because you have an affinity or a weakness for something as ridiculous as money. Don't lose the prize because you're like the Corinthians might have maybe be, been. Right? Think of the spirit of the Macedonians whose socks were blessed off because they chose, they lived, they abided in this attitude of gratitude. Everything I have is from the Lord. My cup overflows. 
because of his good graces? What am I going to do? Well, Paul said, finish strong. Finish the course. Finish the race. Keep the faith. It's not enough to simply commit and train. You've got to actually finish the race to receive the prize. And that's a theme that persisted in Paul's ministry to the Corinthians, actually. And for the record, it persists here at North Christian Church, too. Up here on the board, 1 Corinthians 9.24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Yeah. All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Who wins the race? If you ever watch, honestly, if you ever watch a, a, a race, except for some people that, I don't know, maybe they just didn't train or maybe they're just in there because their parents made them go in there. But for the most part, say you watch a, a one-mile race on a track. It's four laps, right? For the most part, they're kind of clumped together. Do you know what I'm saying? And they kind of like stay together and, you know, who wins? It's the one with the most grit. Everybody comes to the last lap around the same general vicinity of each other. And then all of a sudden, one person starts streaking out in front. Right? Why? More grit, I guess. More willingness to finish strong. That's basically what it comes down to. Every, I've taught my kids this probably sick of listening to it. Sean's like, oh God, I came home for this. Right? <laughs> Everybody, let's face it, in any, any endeavor in life, for the most part, anything that's challenging, 95% of the people, or most people can go 95% of the way. Right? Most people are pretty much neck and neck. There's, you know, stragglers, a little, but for the most part, most people can make it 95% of the way. It's like, have you ever noticed, like, in, in professional football, it always comes down to it feels like the last five minutes of the game. It's like neck and neck, like zero, you know. You might as well be zero-zero and just play a five-minute game. Do you follow what I'm getting at? It's always the end of the game. It's always the end of the race where people separate. Does that make sense? It's always the end. Most people end up, on average, around the same spot after 95% of the challenge is complete. It's that last 5% that differentiates people. It's that last 5% where people with the grit dig a little deeper. And in some cases, it means digging a little deeper into your pocketbook or your pocket. Do you get what I'm getting at? It's that last 5% that differentiates, that... that one person receives the prize and one person doesn't. You, you follow? And, and it's interesting because you, I, I'm also thinking about the parable that, te, uh, that Jesus uh, taught about the, uh, you know, the slave who wants credit for doing their job. You know, we're all called to go the, the distance. And you want to be patted on the back for going the distance 95% of the way? Is that good? Sure, like Paul said. It's really good. You've got love, you've got speech, you've got activities. It's really good. But what about that last 5%? What about the last 5%? What about the point on the board? So run that you may win. Not come in the middle of the pack so that you may win. Right? It really comes down to the very end. It comes down to that last frontier, whatever that is for you. And as Corinthians, apparently Paul saw the need for it because wealthy are stuck 
in their wealth. And as Americans, all of you, Americans are stuck in their wealth. So the last frontier for most Americans is that thing that nobody ever wants to talk about. Money. Money. Nobody ever wants to talk about it. I just, just tell me what the gym membership is. No, I'm not going to tell you what the gym membership is because that lets you off the hook. You coward. This isn't a gym membership, so stop playing that game. Are you able, do you have a greater ability than the next person? Then God holds you more responsible. That's the whole point. You follow again? It? It's the last, mm, it's eking out that last 5%. That's why the coaches in the infield, finish strong! <laughs> Screaming, what do you think I'm doing? Finish strong! Why? Because I want you to win. I want you to win. I want you to be victorious in your life, in your life's context. I want you to be blessed. This isn't about beating other people. It's about your life. It's about bringing glory to God in your life. It's the last 5% in your life. So I'm giving you the same encouragement. It's not that I don't see your love and or commitment to the Lord. I do. Honestly, I do. But like Paul and the coach on the infield, I'm cheering you on to finish the race. Which includes being blessed by your giving, uh, even as you give financially, for example. After all, Americans, you are, you are Americans, after all, which makes you quite wealthy compared to the rest of the world. And that's the analogy between Corinth and Macedonia. It's the same analogy. Look at verse 3 again. Paul continues, verse 3, 2 Corinthians 9, 3, But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, in other words, if you don't give, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. In other words, the whole thing would, would come falling and crashing down. All this wonderful momentum. It's like when a person quits on the last mile or the last uh, 5%. It's a tragedy. You mean, you mean you came 95% of the way and then you quit? What a complete tragedy. You went all the way up almost to the finish line and then you threw in the towel? What? What a waste. So much potential to encourage others, right? To bring glory to God. And then you quit. You quit because it was money? Because it affected your pocketbook? That's why you quit? Hmm. It's humiliating. He uses the word humiliated. It's humiliating for you. Because not, not even to say nothing about you, that's humiliating for you. You ever see a kid who quits walking around the infield after the race is over? He's humiliated. Or she's humiliated because they quit. It's humiliating. It's, it's unnecessary. Finish the race. Verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and range in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift. Not as an exaction. That would ruin the blessing. Exaction meaning, you know, under compulsion. 
I'm going to exact that thing out of you. You said, you said you were going to give a hundred bucks. Boom, hundred bucks, give it to me. That's exaction. He doesn't want it to be that way. He wants to send people in front of them before it's time to give and, and, and encourage them. Hey, don't forget. This is like a great opportunity to bring glory to God. Right? So it's a willing gift that you, oh yeah, that's right. And you seize that sense of commitment that you had a year ago. And you seize it again. You, yeah, that's why I'm doing this thing. Just like the person says, I'm going to dig deep. It's the last lap. Yeah, that's why I did all this. I worked for a year. Imagine going to the Olympics and quitting. What? You worked four years of your life and then when it, for a, a four and a half minute rate. Oh no, they don't, they don't run that slow in the Olympics. For a three, three minute and 40 something second race, you're going to quit at the end? You're going to quit after all that? No. Grab hold of that, whatever that is, that got you motivated a year ago. And exercise it now. Finish the race. Finish strong. Right? And the coach shouldn't have to be whipping you in the back. He's just going to encourage you. Remember, remember, remember. That's the point. Verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Such is the very reason for this morning's special message on giving. When you give abundantly, you are blessed abundantly. If you've never put this to the test by giving abundantly. Some of you are like, wow, I've never really given abundantly. <laughs> if you've never put this to the test, then you've never experienced the truth of it. So you don't even know if it's true or not. But the disclaimer here is that you cannot be forced to give, for that would ruin the blessing. That's the hardest part of this thing, hard in human terms. You cannot be forced to give, because that would ruin the blessing. For example, I can't stand behind this pulpit and try to demand or exact, to use Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 9.5, I can't demand or exact giving from you for two primary reasons. One, it's not my place. I can only make, say, needs known to you or have a treasurer or something like that come up and make needs known to you, right? Number two, it wouldn't be to your blessing if, I, if you gave under that kind of compulsion. It's ruinous, right? It's all about motivation here. The blessing comes with the motivation. The blessing comes with the attitude of gratitude. If you just give because you go, oh, you're already not blessed. You already sound miserable. <laughs> That's the whole point. You don't give under compulsion. It's not to your blessing. It's not my place to beat you into submission. It's not my place to put in false doctrines like tithing. So that you have like no choice in the matter. That's why churches, again, that teach tithing today are actually sowing cursing in their own church, not blessing. You're putting people in bondage to a false doctrine. That never works out well. Because now people are giving for the wrong reason. They're giving under compulsion, which is a curse. Paul sets the record straight here on righteous. Motivation. Look at verse 7. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to, give, to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, you're able to give abundantly because God first abundantly graces you out. He gave you a brain. He gave you a good job. He gave you a ba 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 You're able to give because he first poured it all into your lap. Now the test is up to you. Do you finish strong? Do you finish the race strong? Or do you hold a little back? Verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. That's longhand for saying God blesses the giver. God blesses the giver. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. In other words, you're grateful. You mean, wait a minute. minute. You mean I get blessed. You give me something, and I give it to somebody else, and you bless me for doing that? Because I didn't have the thing in the first place. I had nothing to give. So you you give me something, and I give you, I get blessed when I give? Yeah. What? That sounds almost too easy in a way, right? It kind of is. Kind of is. In that sense, the difficulty, as I've taught you, is, <laughs> right? Your flesh. God pours it in, you're like, ooh, a couple of few shiny new objects I'd like to have myself. Right? I'd like to hold a little back. Right? I got a hot date tonight. I can't leave it all out in the track. I got to save a little back for myself, you see. I gotta have a little energy to party tonight. I'm not gonna leave it all out in the track. I'm gonna keep a little back for myself because I have fleshly plans. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the flesh. That's when it goes sour. So this is a description of God's economy when it functions the way it should. Grace flows round and round. Verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them all or for them and for all others. What's he getting at here? While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Do this thing. Why? For for Jesus' sake. Now's your chance to bring glory to him. You say you're a Christian. You say you're a follower of his. He says, then do this for me. Do it for me and you'll be blessed. What's my motivation? Me. Me. Look, see? See that cross? Me, you do it for me. Remember me, the one who saved you? The one who gave everything for you? The one that that showed you the pattern of giving? Heck, I was God I came down to be poor for your sake so that you could have wealth, eternal wealth. I showed you the way. What's verse 15 say? 
Boom! Drop the mic. Thanks be to God for, this, for his inexpressible gift or indescribable gift in a new American, right? That is the supreme motivation. It's probably why you start off with your commitment way up here, right? I'm so committed to the Lord. He just saved me. I'm committed. Fast forward. What happened? What's the delta? You got familiar with the indescribable, the inexpressible gift. That's why your attitude of gratitude sucks. That's why you won't finish the race strong. You won't dig deeper into your own stupid pocketbook. You will live. You will lawyer your way into gym membership mentality. Right? You'll do anything to satisfy the flesh the more you move away from gratitude towards all that he did for you. Have we so soon forgotten? This is, the, this is what Paul doesn't want them to lose. You've come this far. You've run three laps already, one lap left, but I burn, coach, I burn. I know, but you trained for this. This is yours to win. Finish strong. Don't stop when there's 5% left. Leave it all out there. But I got a date tonight. Right? There's a shiny new object I want. Leave it all out there. Why? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Like the recent blog I wrote titled Concentric Circles on November 13th, the Lord is at the atomic center of our gratitude. This is precisely the capstone to the two chapters we just read from the Apostle Paul regarding giving. He brought the Corinthians' attention back to the linchpin of all gratitude in believers up here on the board. Jesus Christ is the inexpressible gift. That is the atomic center of all of this. We don't give, it doesn't matter what the giving is. We give because we're grateful. We give, we give because we have, uh, we, we're stunned by the fact that we have the opportunity to bring glory to God. We're blown away by the fact that he graces us out. It's unbelievable. So whenever we think about giving, whether financial or otherwise, I hope you realize that finances were just the, you know, today's whatever. You know, that's the point the Spirit chose to pick on. Keep everything real. Everything I said is absolutely real. And for some of you, you really need to listen up. But that's not the bigger picture. The bigger picture here is on that attitude of giving. Whenever we think about giving, whether financial or otherwise, Jesus is the root motivation for it. Assuming it's righteous, of course, but he's the root motivation for it. Is giving financially to your church the only way you can give? Of course not. Of course not. As this week's blog highlighted, you may have to give more of yourself for the sake of others, which for some of you means stretching outside of your comfort zone and into areas of expressing gratitude that you have little or no experience in. Here's that blog up here on the board, The Worn Out Path. That's this week's blog. That was all about getting out of the cave, right? Stop self-isolating yourself. You're not doing anybody any good stuck there in your little, you know, comfy little land of make-believe and pretend, right? Where all your fantasies come true. <laughs> That's not life. That's not the last 
right? You got to finish strong. What's interesting to note is that Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians wasn't unique regarding living or giving for the sakes of others. We just read how the Macedonians, even though they were poor, begged to give more. And how the Corinthians had committed to give but hadn't yet, so they needed that encouragement so that God's economy could flow freely the way it was meant to. And the whole of these activities bring glory to God while blessings are bestowed upon individual vessels of mercy. Let's read one more. I've got more here, but uh, we'll save it for Thursday. Paul gave everyone this type of encouragement. Just like I'm giving everyone here this type of encouragement. Some of you are like the Macedonians. Absolutely. Some of you are like the Corinthians. Absolutely. Some of you are like the Philippians. Some of you are like the Ephesians. Some of you, it depends on where you are spiritually in your life. What you're, you know, whatever, whatever that last 5% means to you. Don't know. But it's the same thing. Paul gave everyone the same encouragement because the general rule applies. You're blessed when you give. So says Jesus Christ himself. Let's read one more passage and I'll close. He gave this same encouragement to the church at Philippi. Go to Philippians 2.1. Philippians 2.1. And as we get there, I just want to preface this with, do you remember when Jesus said, you know, you have to pick up your cross to follow me? Right? You have to pick up that cross. That cross might get heavy. It might hurt. It might be painful, especially the last 5%. Right? Philippians 2.1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Wasn't that what he was saying between Corinth and Macedonians? Hey, guys, have the same mind the Macedonians have. Their socks are getting blessed off. I want this to be like, I want this to go like this. I want grace to flow. I want, I want you to look at their example and say, oh, man, they're getting blessed out. Yeah, join in. That's what he's saying. Have the same mind, the same love. Complete this joy in me because that's what makes me happy. When the whole family, the whole family participates in this economy. You see, that's all he's saying. Now he's, a, he's teaching the Philippians, right? Complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. What just occurred to me is, if you, and I hate to be harping so much on this running analogy, but I ran in school. Um, it's an individual sport, right? The coach is yelling at you. It's definitely true. But you know, you know who else is cheering you on? Your teammates. Your teammates. So maybe when you're digging deep, you say, you know what? My teammates deserve this last 5%. My teammates, all of you, my teammates in Macedonia deserve my last 5%, right? I'm not going to put myself above them. I have the ability. I should help them. This is about the, the body of Christ. This is about the team. 
So not only is the coach yelling at you from the infield, let's go, come on, dig deep, right? So are your teammates. And they're like, hey, remember, you're part of a team. I get it. You're running this race and you're in pain. But we're part of a team. You're helping the team. Think not just about yourself and your own pain in this moment, but think of all the good you can do for the team. That's what he's saying. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What about the rest of the team? The rest of the church? Capital C. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You guys have five more minutes? What are you supposed to say? Five more. Give me five more. Come on. This is so good. Paul just didn't give the Corinthians and the Philippians this encouragement, but also the Ephesians. Go to Ephesians 5.15. Come on, hurry up. I want to get out of here. People are come on, man. Football games are coming. You guys are sick. Ephesians 5.15. I hope you get the encouragement, honestly. This is so wonderful. I love it. Ephesians 5.15. Nice and simple, right? Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16. Making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. Come on. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, be encouraging, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always. There we go. That's why he wanted to finish it. Because this is about giving thanks. This is how this whole thing started. Giving thanks always. And for everything that God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is our motivation. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible, indescribable gift. And then look at the fruit of that, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see the fruit of it? Submitting to one another, esteeming others more important than yourselves even. I came here to live this thing out, to finish the course for the sake of others. When we submit to one another, we are blessed. So a message like this one should be received in humility the way it has been given in humility. Fact is, I have done you a wonderful favor this morning by encouraging you to give and give abundantly. And if you've already committed to doing so, like many of you have, then consider me like the coach in the infield, yelling for you to finish strong, to finish the race with honor. Give. Whatever that means, give. In fact, live a life of gratitude so that when you give, you do so to the glory of God and to your own benefit. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this special message on giving. Thank you for 
keeping us grounded. And thank you for giving us no escape, Father, but just the truth of the matter, because we know at the end of the day, it's the truth that sets us free. Thank you. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls, our families, and then your will be done out to a world that needs it so desperately, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.